Welcome to the Locking Castle Church podcast. This Sunday morning teaching was given as part of the What is Love series. So you think uh, I was an expert on love, having listened to the last five weeks, having listened to that reading, and then I completely failed in the early service this morning. We were just about to have communion, and uh, Fiona announced the peace. So we were going to shake hands with all those people around us. Well, I've got uh, something nasty on the end of my finger and, and a plaster. And I, I turned to the people around me, the people behind, and Alison, who was two doors away just there. And uh, I, wanted, I didn't have time to explain that I had something wrong with my finger, so I would just show it. So I put the middle finger up to her. <laughs> which... which which wasn't necessarily the best way to be sharing the peace before you have communion. So I don't claim to be an expert this morning. And Alison is very brave to be doing the intercessions in the second service as well, having had that shock. So I think I was asked to summarize the last five weeks and then add a few points. So how do you summarize uh, five weeks if you've only got 10 minutes to do that bit? Ask the people who did the talks. Three-point summary, please, from each of you. Typical. Everything from a whole 25-minute sermon to a few words. Guess who? Most of them are either called Andy or Emily. What a boring church. Part one, and in the info from, an app from one of our Andy men. There's quite a few here, as I've just said. Love is all around, but we're called as a church to provide a greater love than the world's love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to go and make disciples. This last also an act of love. How? By partnering with Jesus and with each other, what Paul calls the most excellent way. We can't claim to love God and not love his church, and we can't say we love church and not love others who are outside the church. We should long for them to be with us. Part two, a geography, history, and English lesson from one of the Emilies and also one of life's and this church's perks. Paul wrote this letter to Corinth over a thousand miles from Jerusalem. It was a resettlement. People hadn't necessarily chosen to live there, and they were a motley crew, as reading Corinthians will show. Paul had spent 18 months with them. He knew their struggles. He knew their challenges. Paul had been a Pharisee through and through. Life is outwardly following a set of rules to the letter. And if we do, one day the Messiah will come. Then came Paul's life transformation. He found love. And now he was proclaiming God's love wherever he went and whoever he wrote to, as in our passage. And 1 Corinthians 13, if I've got the pronunciation right, I asked Perk on Thursday night, and uh, she said, I think it was chiasm. Yes? 
1 Corinthians 13 is a chiasm, the center of the letter, the heart, the foundation, the core. Everything before is leading up to it. Everything after is in the light of it, the most excellent way. Part three by Matt Barney. I looked up Barney in the dictionary. <laughs> a quarrel, especially a noisy one. I then looked up Matt, dull and flat, without a shine. And I, I don't know from this time on, from when I looked those up, whether to refer to Matt or to speak to him by his surname or his first name. He spoke about love upwards, love inwards, love outwards. Interesting is Jesus saying what the first commandment is, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Cultivating that love relationship with God through prayer and actively seeking his presence. Much harder to preach about, I find, in a way than the inwards and outwards, but it's number one and fundamental place in our lives, Matt rightly emphasized. Love yourself inwards. Looking round this morning, whatever you dream of, you can achieve it. You're perfect, absolutely wonderful in every way. And then I looked in the mirror this morning, getting old, not really. Perhaps the other extreme. The other is you're rubbish. You're a sinner. You'll never achieve anything. The love yourself commandment is somewhere between those or perhaps on a different scale. We are told to see ourselves as God sees us. Sinners, yes, but sinners saved by grace. Precious, being transformed into his likeness, accepting his love and forgiveness and his changing of us. And then his sky is the limit. And I'm not talking about Norman's sky in terms of heaven at that point, but in this life. So there is an element of truth to that. But there's also an element of truth at the same time that we are being transformed as people. And we won't be perfect until we get there. Love others outwards. How? The list we've heard many times now in verses 4 to 7. With patience, kindness, and honesty. With hope and sometimes endurance. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Part four was another Emily. There's an Old and New Testament love, a hard subject. Many have seen the Old Testament God as judge and even a brute at times. The New Testament God is just lovely. Closer inspection shows many aspects and examples of God's love in the Old Testament and in the New Testament what many call gentle Jesus, meek and mild, giving stark warnings to people who put two fingers up to God. The Torah, the first five Old Testament books, can be seen as the loving instructions of a parent. God's judgments are only after heartfelt warnings over many generations with many a second chance offered. 
but we cannot ignore his holiness and his justice. God Almighty can't be diluted into a benevolent grandfatherly figure. God's love is why Jesus died on the cross. God's love for those who trust in Jesus is why he holds them in his hand and will never let them go. Hallelujah. A hard subject, that one. A great effort, but still a lot of puzzles here for many of us Christians. Part five, Andy, what's this? Andy is a Christian, a scientist, and a teacher. I only achieved Christianity and teachership. I have never been a scientist, and for a large part of his talk that morning, I didn't have a clue what he was on about. <laughs> no. A Christian, a scientist, and a teacher. Perhaps we could just bow towards that over there. Love in society, he talked about. Love is not an optional extra. God put love in the whole of creation. We need it for child development and for us to live in creation as God intended. Love is not a fuzzy feeling. This scientist sees love as a vital linchpin to life. Fascinating, as with the dodgy help of not very compliant visual aids, he showed how the brain is wired to love. As a teacher, Andy saw in some kids the result of love, and in others, the absence of love. A lack, and for many as adults, it's hard to show or experience love. The brain protects itself. It needs to be healed and remolded to be able to give and receive love. For to love others, we must love ourselves first not completely remolded at once, a transformative, ongoing process. Love needs to win. Without it, there is nothing. In the 1990s, a lot of money, I asked Andy on Thursday night in the home group how much money, and he said I made it up how much, but it was a very big, uh, large sum, whether it was millions or billions. Uh, but... Uh, that money was sent, spent, or to be spent, on a brain research project. The result, something very similar to 1 Corinthians 13, and could have saved all that money. Part six, today, Andy Butcher. Just as well, we must be closing in on the meat of the subject. Thank you, that one person who understood that bit. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 7, 1. It is good for man not to It is good for man not to marry. No, sorry, wrong chapter. <laughs> Just as well. Someone who's lived fairly close to me for 38 years said, How come you can have six talks on love and not cover the various love languages in a relationship? After 38 years, you touch her hand and she feels nothing. If I empty the dishwasher three times in a day, she is in love with me all over again. <laughs> so, I'm not an expert on what's called the love languages and won't be speaking about them. Short answer, am I an expert? No, give me another 38 years and I will be an expert. 
Perhaps ask the pastor. He's already one. That's O-N-E, one, all right? At the start of his letter, Paul says in chapter 2, 1 to 5, when I come to you, brothers, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And in the passage before this love chapter, verses 27 to 31, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts? A lot of people would wonder what the greater gifts are. Again, in the home group on Thursday night, I came across somebody who thought and believed and having looked at that person's life, it's actually true that the gift of administration is just as powerful as the gift of miracles or healing or speaking in tongues or anything else. Because he or she or it does it, okay, does it uh, as a gift. And that's what Paul is on about here. There's also in one of his lists here about helps. People who are out there serving coffee and stuff. Oh, they're just doing a job. It's the people speaking out front or singing that are the important people. But Paul goes through various avenues and various explanations that these are the gifts. Now, if we're not careful, reading chapter 13 a lot on its own, as we've done, can falsely devalue the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts he has given to express our faith to each other and to the world. It isn't power or love. It's the power of God through love. Without love, the gifts are empty. But without the gifts, love can just be a fuzzy feeling. Remember the charismatic movement? A lot more people did in the first service. Uh, there's one or two here. Yes. Oh. Were you born then, Andy? Uh, you know about it. All right. You, yeah, you, you, all right. Remember the charismatic movement? You'll settle down, some people said to me. I have. If many of us need to open our lives to the power of God again, as I do, or maybe for the first time, that the gifts of the Spirit are more a daily expression of our faith, let's do it. Be brave and do it. As he says at the start of his letter, Paul's letter to the Corinthian Christians was so that their faith would rest on God's power. God's power expressed through God's love. Power without love, we have all seen in the fallen chaos of the world that we live in. 
but the last six weeks have taught us it's both power and love. So in closing, what is love? A challenge, as the message translation puts it. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. The message can be a bit too short and a bit too punchy sometimes and missing out the truth. We have just read that we should be seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit to make sure people know about the power of the kingdom as well as the love of the kingdom. So there are certain things it's all right to go for in this life. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. So love doesn't want what it doesn't have in a selfish way. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, unless you're driving through Banwell, almost rhymed, <laughs> doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back. That's another one which is not quite true, but there is a way in which it is true. It's all right to look back sometimes and to say thank you to God and to look at your life in the past and say, am I as alive now as I was then? Never looks back, sometimes looks back, I would say. At the right times we look back, but keeps going to the end. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.